0: Today we are discussing pregnancy loss and bereavement. We understand that this can be a difficult subject for many of our listeners, so please feel free to skip this episode if you like. Hello, I'm Louise MacSharry, and welcome to Real Talk with Real Mums, an expert advised and mum-approved podcast that looks at the issues of everyday pregnancy with healthcare professionals and the real women who have gone through the pregnancy journey. You can listen on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud, or on realtalkwithrealmums.ie. And if there's any questions you have, we're also on Twitter, at Real Mums Podcast. When facing grief, there is no correct way to cope, but we do hope that today's conversation will offer insight into the challenges that those who are dealing with bereavement are facing. We also hope that it will highlight the supports that are available for women and families dealing with miscarriage, pregnancy loss, and bereavement. We are joined today by Linda Hughes, mum to babies Ava and Emma. Linda is here to discuss the complicated and heartbreaking journey of losing a child during pregnancy. We're also joined by our chaplain Anne Charlton here in the Rotunda who supports bereaved parents in their time of need. Linda, thank you so much for being with us today. We're really grateful to you for taking the time and for being willing to share your experience. Um, tell me about Ava.
1: Ava was our little girl, um, our firstborn. who was born on the 16th of march 2016 following an emergency um spontaneous uterine rupture in the matter hospital actually i was here in the rotunda first um with abdominal pains i had a normal pregnancy um and no complications and was due my 20-week scan although it's going to be late um on the 16th and i woke up with pains Um, i was in the Rotunda hospital they kind of couldn't find anything significantly wrong with the baby and couldn't really find a cause for the pains and I was quite unstable and um, the decision was made then to transfer me to the matter and all reassurance given that the baby's heartbeat was fine that the baby was okay and um, transferred over to the matter where things kind of deteriorated as the day went on and um, I became very unwell and um, just drifting in and out of consciousness they couldn't get a cause for the pain and um, couldn't get the pain under control and um it escalated to the point where I needed an MRI and um, kind of couldn't understand why they wanted me to have an MRI they were obviously trying to look into my abdomen to see where the pain was kind of coming from so at this um, point
0: they kind of thought that the problem was probably with you as opposed yeah, to yeah appendix the is kind of the what they yeah. thought
1: first I think one of my white cells were high and they were sort of thinking okay it's that um I did find out throughout the course of the day that I actually was bleeding internally. That's what the, the cause of the pain. And that's why I was deteriorating throughout the day. So they needed to investigative MRI in the matter. And um, when I came out of the MRI, there was a red star in SPR. I can't remember who what the doctor was, but um, they were waiting for me outside the MRI. And I work, um, I'm actually a nurse myself. So I know that doctors don't be standing outside an MRI department waiting to give you results. And um, he indicated that there was fluid in my abdomen, there still was no kind of real reason why, um, but he said it wasn't your appendix and that there was fluid in your abdomen, still thinking, okay, that's ground, yeah, stick in a little drain there, get that out and, you know, that's fine, um, everything still seemed to be okay. And we were put back down, myself, my husband, um, we were taken down, back down to Rhesus in um, the emergency department because I kind of had been there, I was very unstable. And yeah, things kind of escalated then from there. Yeah. Um, the one of the SPRs, Neve Maher, I think was her name. I still remember a lot of the names. Kenny you still remembers significant things, and then other things actually are quite a blur. Um, Jared, my husband, he was taken outside the curtains with um Dr. Tom Walsh was the consultant surgeon. He was brought in, and um Jared was speaking to him. Um at this stage, um, we still we just needed to try and get the pain under control. Still thinking, just get me stabilised and let me get out of here and make sure you know the baby's okay. <clears throat> and Neve then just sat down and with there was a nurse with her and just said, Look, um, they've seen a hole in the top of your womb um, and you're bleeding internally, and we need to fix that. We need to stop that. Um, still, I'm still thinking, Okay, yeah, just go in and stitch it and stop the bleeding and leave the baby nice and warm and cozy in my womb. Um, and then she said, No, she said that um, I asked, you know, the first thing was like, The baby's okay. And she said, The baby won't be okay that the baby will have to be delivered um, there's no way to save you and to save the baby she said the baby won't survive um, she said the main goal here now is to preserve your life and that at this gestation which I was 21 plus six um, they don't resuscitate babies um, now that wasn't told to me at that time you know it was just like the concentration was very much on my life and um, I didn't know I knew I was very sick I knew my blood pressure was very low and I, knew I wasn't they weren't able to keep me conscious so um and you know at that stage then everything kind of happened very very quickly it was just a matter of getting up into theater and Eve did say to me she said look you need to consent for a hysterectomy um if they need they may not be able to save your womb and you know at this stage then I just started to scream hysterically and yeah. um, Jared my husband he was out with um Tom Walsh and he was having a very detailed conversation with him at the time jared came in I knew he'd had tears in his eyes he obviously was crying but
0: how long lower. had you been in the matter at this stage so we've been
1: in all day actually it was but, a very very happened. slow process were, yeah it was as um, far as
0: you were concerned that morning you were you were grand fine
1: yeah I left the rotunda I think it was about 10 or 11 and then yeah like it was everything sort of happened it came, like the consciousness thing kind of came waves and bouts and I'd be yeah. fine for a little while and then all of a sudden you know different yeah. things were happening and um different tests and stuff so then it was about five o'clock, I think they tried to take me for the MRI twice and I was too unstable and then the third time they got it. So it was about five-ish, yeah, half five. And then, yeah, she, you know, I just started screaming hysterically. And, you know, when I think back now, you know, it was very, very traumatic, obviously for me. But when I think of the staff that are there in the matter and they don't obviously routinely deal with pregnant women and what they had to deal with, but they were absolutely amazing in in how they dealt with it. Um Jared, he obviously had had a frank conversation with Dr Sean Walsh and he had said if we don't get her to theatre in the next 15-20 minutes that you're going to lose both of them you know and then and, and for his he just needed to you know al- although it was very much your baby is going to die then it was very much you, you need to save my wife Um, so he came in he was screaming I wouldn't sign it I refused to sign the consent I said no I'm not signing it and he rarely cursed somebody came in he was cursing at me and shouting he said no 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 you have to he didn't want to tell me what Tom Walsh had said but he was very frank and saying no come on sign 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 it and um, oh, so
0: I can't even imagine how you must have felt yeah and how he must have felt
1: yeah I think for him it, that part was more traumatic because I think for me I was so unwell that I, you know I, I do remember so many points vividly but it just kind of even now you know talking back to it it's very surreal you're kind of in a bubble as if you're looking at you know a tv or you're looking out at somebody else's world um so the next thing I declared my undying love to him and told him to be happy and didn't know if I'd make it and um oh up gosh. to theater and came out of theater and yeah the first thing was just um to ring him obviously they're not allowed up into the recovery room and stuff but I was adamant I'd said to bring him up now before I went actually I had made sure that um I didn't really know what was going to happen. Like nothing was, i obviously sure there was no time, but I didn't really know what would happen with the baby or what was going to be done. But um, I did say I wanted the baby baptised as soon as the baby was delivered in my head. I'm religious, but I'm not. You know, I'm thinking like every Irish person growing up in Ireland when you're in the country and it's, you know, you go to mass every now and again and you go to weddings and things. So um, in my head, I remember thinking that... If you have a baby and you want to bury a baby, it has to be baptized, or you know, if you wanted to be yeah. in the... Cha- this kind of old school thing. So uh, yeah, I did say I wanted the baby baptized. Um, so when it came through, Jared came down. They actually did. They brought him down into the recovery then, and he was just in pieces. Yeah, and I think you know, I still can't really remember how I was at that stage because everything was very much like I was still coming out of the anesthetic um, yeah of
0: course and you you were so sick yeah
1: yeah and I think that was where it was different for me because he had went off on his own I had begged him to ring his sister and I remember saying to the nurse to ring his sister she's based in Dublin I had said get her him get her with him don't leave him on his own we had rang my mum and my brother actually they were on their way from Monaghan we were from and they were coming down but I didn't want him on his own he actually didn't ring his sister, he just went off on his own. That was his coping mechanism. He just kind of walked around the streets of the matter and um yeah, waited for news. Um in the interim he was actually brought into a room of his own. In the E D department they have a room. Obviously, people come in and they die in there, so they have a little quiet room. But um there was I think it's a porter healthcare assistant or something came into him and provided him with this box. And I think that was where the box led to to feel a calm been introduced into our life, and it was kind of like a recovery, um, start of the recovery and the dealing with, um, or how to even deal. Um, it was a bad day because actually it was the year of the hundred year rising, so it was um, St. Patrick's Day and Easter, and everything was all happening at the one time. So actually, she was born on the twenty on the sixteenth, so nothing was open, no, there was nobody there. You know, the seventeenth was very much a shutdown, and because we were in the matter, it was very much um nothing could really have been done uh, you know obviously I was told then we'd had a little girl <clears throat> I remember Dr. Mae Vogan was my consultant and she did tell me that she lived for a few minutes and um, to me that like that's one of the hardest things. and yeah. I always think back of who held her and you know um, I'm sure there was no pain but you just think who held that tiny little girl for six minutes and um, for them to not be able to do something Um would have been very very traumatic but um yeah the next few days was just recovery in the matter Um, they did offer to bring Ava um we always had the name picked um right spelt a little differently than the rest and I like the Irish spelling of it um but I just like the short name and
0: yeah it's a beautiful name
1: we always kind of like that um yeah it was my sister's a teacher actually I saw her with a copybook, and she said she always has this link now with this little girl that's called Ava in her yeah. school actually um but they did offer to bring Ava over to us to meet um but in my head I thought no because the matter is not really you know it's a big hospital it's not a maternity hospital and I kind of just thought no do you know what she's not to be transported like a pizza or delivery you know brought over here and I just thought no do you know where she is is where she's meant to be until we're ready to meet her um so the plan was to try and get me over to the rotunda then as quickly as they could get me stay i was still in the icu in the matter so we had to wait until i was stable um and then on the saturday um we were got the news we had transferred over and i think we were only there and it was okay can we meet her can we see her um and um yeah she was brought up and put into a little cuddle cot they have the cots that they have and they will put a little line in that's kind of keeping the body cool obviously they have to try and um, preserve the body as much as possible um, and you kind of you prepare yourself and you see scans and you think okay these babies are perfect and then you just see this little life Um, for me it was very much perfectly formed little girl Um, and she was a good size and um, she weighed 454 for her Gestation, she was a good size and everything was perfect. Um, dressed in this little hat and guy, 'cause I remember thinking, what are they going to dress her in? You know, is she just going to be in a blanket or how, what? What are they going, you know how are we going to see her? Um, but even Jared still says he didn't think she would look as much a baby as what she did. Like she was actually very like him. Um, we've had another little girl and she's more like me. So you look back and Ava's always looks, you know, like Jared. Um, and yeah we spent some time with her in the in the room Um, our family parents um, both our parents actually were waiting to meet her obviously as well their granddaughter that um they would meet and say goodbye to Um, that again is a is a no is another um thing you can't prepare yourself for is never mind seeing your baby but the guilt for me um Everybody that, you know, people that have lost babies and had late miscarriages and stillbirths, um, they, you, you have this guilt, what did you do wrong? But for me, I feel it was emphasised even more because this baby did nothing wrong. My body um, just gave up and wasn't able to physically hold her. And to this day, even when I go to the grave, I always say, sorry, that's all I can say is because I
0: just feel like I let her down. Um, it's it's really hard for me to hear you say that because obviously my compulsion is to say of course you should not feel guilty and you know these things happen and you know you had absolutely no control over it but that doesn't I don't want to invalidate your feelings yeah because it's perfectly natural I think to feel that way yeah and I can imagine that's really hard to to carry and to deal with
1: it is and and the only thing you learn you know time goes on and I think if somebody's older like I've lost grandparents and uncles and things and you kind of think okay time does heal that pain but the 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 loss of a baby it doesn't really ease um because you've lost the hope of their life and um, every event that comes up it's always in the back of your mind it's always thinking um okay what should have you know what would they be doing what would they ever be doing like yesterday actually was her due date so she actually should have been three yesterday and you know that's a significant date you know to us you you'll always think of family weddings and every any event that comes up it's it's the hope that you've lost for their life for your for, you know for eternity yeah,
0: yeah. the plans yeah 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 god i i just can't even imagine what that was like know, uh, just that time you've spoken about it so eloquently Really appreciate it. I don't know how you held it together. It's very impressive. Um, now, Anne Charlton is here and she is a chaplain here in the Rotunda. She's own, <laughs> Anne Anne Rock. having an emotion. Um, <laughs> but I'm sorry, Anne, it's your time. <laughs> um, so, you're here obviously uh, to support today, mm-hmm. um, but but obviously, there's so much more to your role. How did you two come together?
2: I first heard about Ava actually when one of the chaplains from the Master phoned, wondering about baptising a little baby because that was completely not in their department as such and while they knew how to baptise I think it's like Linda said earlier everybody was thrown in the matter because they wouldn't be used to um, meeting pregnant women and meeting little babies and so it was quite dramatic so I think I might have been one of the first in the rotunda to hear about Ava um, because that would have been just after she was born. Um, but then it was a couple of days later that I did met Linda and Jared and met Ava herself.
0: Um, it was probably the Monday, I think,
2: yeah. Yes, because it was Bank Holiday weekend. Yeah, um, yeah. So
0: you were there yeah. from the very, very beginning.
2: I suppose in the background. Um, yeah.
1: My friend Laura actually is a midwife in the Rotunda and um, she had said it to me straight away. She said you know, the chaplain, there is a chaplain here, he's great, you know, and obviously the support from that we got, we were on the Guiney Ward actually and we were in a room of our own when we were brought over and the symbol was on the side of the door to indicate that there had been a baby died and they were all so aware of our needs and keeping me pain free and, um, yeah, Lord mentioned that Anne would obviously have been off at the weekend but she would be in and that she is amazing and um, so I was very keen to meet this Anne lady, <laughs> so yeah, I think it was either Monday or the Tuesday mm-hmm. then Anne came down and just took over yeah she just took over we we were lost at that stage because we had obviously spent time with Ava in the room and we kind of knew that I was getting better and okay what
0: what's the next step
1: actually hadn't clean it. there was a bit in the felicon box in the memory box about burying or you know what you do in the Plus. so we kind of had started to talk about it but Anne just came in then and took over in a very 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 honorable way you know it was not very much i'm the chaplain i'm here yeah. to talk about god or i'm here to talk about this um, no. and no i was very silent and just let you kind of take over and say as much as you want to say um which is so respectful and and you know it's completely the right well i felt it was definitely the right thing for us and guided us in
2: mm-hmm. yeah I, I work as part of a, the bereavement team so with the medical social worker and bereavement midwife and our role is to Explore funeral options and ritual options with parents um, and then support them in whatever decision they make. And it is about offering to honour and acknowledge their little baby to the extent that they wishes to. Um, and I always say brief and care is not prescriptive. So Not everything is for everybody. So it's important that people, I think it's so important that parents make informed choices and informed decisions and that they have the time to do that. I suppose for for Jared and Linda, they had one opportunity to do what they could do for Ava and it was important that they made the decisions that were authentic to them. Um, maybe not everybody would agree with what they decided but that's not the point. The point is that Jared and Linda as a mummy and daddy can do they need to do for their baby.
0: And that's, I suppose, crucial because you'll be looking back at this forever and you want to feel that you were you didn't make a rash decision or you did what was really right for you. So I can imagine that support was invaluable.
1: Completely, yeah, completely. Um we had decided we wanted to bury Eva and to have a grave um in Monaghan. We uh, we were both were living and working in Dublin but in our heads home is is Monaghan and we kind of felt that a big graveyard here wouldn't have been right for us and that our grandparents or Ava's grandparents would have been able to visit her grave and probably more frequently than we would have had an opportunity should the grave have been here. There's so many options though, there are angel plots and cremations and things, but for us we just wanted to have our family and we wanted just to bury our little girl and just to kind of have that closeness and again it's not forced and it's very individual and it's not for everybody but that was what we wanted to do now we didn't think we'd be able to do it as in the physicalities of actually doing it um but yeah we had so much again help and support and preparation and the options of picking um coffins and baskets and um transport you know it was all okay you can do this to bring you home where you can have the chapel arrests, and we were able to use it the prayers and Anne had prepared booklets for our family members and and the priest was able at home actually was able to use this booklet you know to kind of guide us through the the ceremony and the funeral and the burial. Um,
0: Can I ask um, I think one of whenever you have uh, bad news seems like a, a very kind of useless term in this context but when you have something that you have to tell family that isn't good it could but it's about you or about your situation it it can be a very difficult thing to manage because you are you yourself are going through something excruciating and you have to tell it to someone else and then often you find yourself managing the other person's trauma yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though you're still in yes. the trauma yourself yeah um, is that something that you had to do or did you have support in that um, you know in terms of like who who told your parents who um,
1: told Jared actually yeah. yeah he had spoken Um, I think he probably told my mum and brother they were on their way Um, down the road and then his own parents yeah um, he had to obviously ring and tell them there was very few people I had to tell I think he contacted work um yeah, he actually had nearly, you know, kind of really, really had the message to everybody There was, now, again, there are people when, obviously, as a nurse, I was pregnant, and I went off, and came back, and I did meet people, and you, you meet people, oh, you know, did you have the baby, or these kind of things, and that was probably the only times that I had to actually, sort of, say it, um, yeah, which, um, it's very much, it's a very individual response, and it's, it's, you kind of, you don't want to deny the baby, but you just you don't want to cut. You're so aware of other people's grief, particularly if they're pregnant or um. You just nobody wants to hear, and you just know the reaction of other people when you say, "Oh no, the baby died," or "Um, I had the baby early and she didn't make it," or you phrase it, but you are yeah, you're so aware of other people's grief, and um. Everyone just sort of seemed to hold their own in our family, yeah. But there are supports. There were we were told that. The bereavement team were there for our family um if they needed it mm. so I think they were probably suppressing their grief for us I think um both our families were very much relieved they were devastated theva but they were just so relieved in the initial days that I had survived and that I was at okay you know that I was okay I think because it was such a shock that I was so sick I think for them it was okay you're alive um and to deal with the rest then it was very suppress I think they definitely suppressed a lot of it
0: did you feel that at all or like, were you able to feel gratitude for your own life or was that too difficult? No. no.
1: Yeah. 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 I just, I, oh, the, again, the guilt, um, you just, all you want to be is a mother and we're all on this earth. You're, you learn 2.4 kids in whatever way it needs be. Um, people need help to get that way. But, um yeah, you, the letdown that you feel as, as a mother. Um, I had had a miscarriage actually the year previous, but this was on a different level. And yeah. just think, you know, my one job on earth as a woman to have this wound is to, and I can't even give that. Yeah, I couldn't even give it to her. So yeah, that was a massive, and is a massive hurdle. Like I still haven't really, you know, been able to get over that. And I don't think I ever will.
0: I mean, again, I want to just <laughs> like be like, don't feel like I that, know. but that's not helpful. <laughs> so, um, I won't do that. Okay. Um, but I just, I guess, I just, I really, I, I, feel for you, and I hope that you can kind of get to a place where you're, it's it, you can sit eat more easily with it. Um, but it's still so soon, you know, mm. and you know, you're. I can only imagine that you're, you're still in it. So, after, I suppose one of the difficult things about a trauma like that is that after it's, I'm like I'm using air quotes, finished because it's not finished. But after the kind of Mechanics is an awful word to use, but you know, the logistics they're all awful words in this context. Yeah, yes. after you leave the hospital and you're supposed to get on with your life, what happens?
1: Um, I was actually very lucky in that because Ava was delivered alive and she lived for the few moments, I found out that I was allowed maternity leave. So, I'm a nurse, and obviously, my Boss at the time was amazing, and she said straight away, "You know, don't worry about work. Take as much time as you need." But then you're like, "Okay, I need to go back. You know, there is going to be an issue here." Um, I'd had this section and open surgery, and I knew it was going to be a time before they even be allowed to go back to work. But yeah, I got onto the process then. of realized, and hang on, I can actually get six months off here for Ava. And at the time, you're thinking, "Okay, actually, how can I take maternity leave for a baby I don't have?" And in so many worlds, people would think that's wrong, and you know, I was just lucky to be honest. I just feel like I needed, that. and I couldn't have gone. You know, there's no way I could have returned to work. I work in oncology, so um, that would have been something for me. I knew I needed to be mentally prepared for going back to work to dealing with other people's illnesses and grief and stuff that I needed that time. So, yeah, I was lucky that I actually got the time off to be able to process things and kind of gain some sort of normality. Um, God, I
0: can't imagine that anyone would begrudge you that. Yeah, that
2: time.
1: I just think
0: so many because other people with
1: stillbirths and they won't get maternity leave, and I just think yeah. they, they maybe were later, and which is actually appalling. You know, I, yeah. I still think that the government needs to look at things like that. But yeah, um, yeah, like women that go through labour and then they're told, okay, back to work now in a few weeks, and you know, logistically wise, some people can't afford to even take the time. You know, they have to go back to work. Yeah. But, you're not you're not you're not physically or mentally able to do that you know you have to start the whole process of grieving and and yeah and dealing with everything then
0: and hmm. was there support offered to you there, by the hospital yeah, yeah there was
1: there was now again I was different because of the fact I had been in the matter and it was a really bad time in that it was the bank holiday and um, then I was discharged on the Thursday which actually was holy Thursday leading into Easter weekend and um so again, services weren't fully, I knew they wouldn't, have, now everybody's different and what they would have wanted at that time would have been very different. So for me, um, I was happy I had Anne and she was my rock at the start and we did speak to the social work and I had a follow-up phone call I think about two or three weeks later offering the help. Um, a friend of mine had had a little boy and he had been he had died actually. Eva and her little boy would have been in the more at the same time actually and we didn't realize that but um, she kind of put me into other organizations outside of the hospital. Again the hospital are, they have an amazing bereavement team but for me when you, when I left the hospital to come back in and to have to look at pregnant people you know I couldn't even look my friends in the eye any of them that had babies or anyone that was pregnant I couldn't look at anybody so to come into the hospital and I know they're very aware of that and they do mention that on the phone, you know, was mentioned um that I don't necessarily have to come here that they can arrange for outside support and stuff. Yeah. So, um, it actually was a little lifetime um foundation that we kinda got in touch with and there were supports through Felicon and you know, it was very early for me. I think I wasn't ready to to go through it because I had physically got over you know, got over the trauma of it and you're trying to normalise your life a little bit. Um but to have to start come back and talking through everything, and you just don't want to accept it. You know, you just don't want to, and that's what happens. I hear a lot of women say that to me is that they don't actually want to talk about it in the early part that they. It's just too traumatic to bring it back to them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's. That's common to a lot of different types of bereavement. Yeah. 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 It can be just too intense initially. Yeah. Yeah. So, after a while, though, you did feel ready to.
1: Yeah, I did. And actually, it wasn't even true, the Rotunda then. I have a good friend who's a um, psychologist or a counselor. um, And I actually found more salts through her. um, And I used to speak to her. And actually, it was Nurture, the charity, then that I reached out to. Um, And that wasn't until my next pregnancy. Um, where I knew we obviously were told we wouldn't be able to carry again and we had had a frank discussion with our consultant and said you know what we'll go through it and I think that like a lot of women that have lost babies they you know the rainbow baby doesn't replace but it kind of drives you it literally just kind of pushes yourself forward like I remember after in the, in the weeks after I didn't want to eat and I didn't want to get up out of bed and all I was doing was getting up and eating eggs and thinking okay I need to get this wound to heal and I need to make my body strong and all if eggs or protein and chicken can heal it and it just gives you a sense of okay this is how to function and that to me was my coping mechanism was okay just to make my body recover to be able to carry a baby or to lead myself into another pregnancy and you know that is something that a lot of mums do and particularly after early miscarriages they always say you know you know go again and try again and and it doesn't really you know in the back of your head you're thinking okay I've lost this baby it doesn't it just sort of puts things on pause that's what I always say you know people say, is it a coping? and it's not like it's just like a pause button Um, to kind of get you over the grief and yeah whatever anybody has to do it's it's so individual like every person is individual and you know, it's just a matter of listening and doing what's right for you. So Linda I- you did manage
0: to to have a baby or you have a baby
1: we yeah, have we have our little rainbow um miracle. yeah i probably cry more about him I don't know, than i um that was the hardest thing actually um uh, coping with the pregn- pregnancy that's something that probably is dismissed a little bit you sort of think okay you're pregnant again and um it, you just cannot accept that this is gonna happen. We obviously were told that my womb had this defect and they had stitched it and that because of where it was, carrying a baby was never gonna to happen to full term and the aim was to get me in my head was okay, get me to twenty four weeks mm-hmm. and I have a baby that I can hold, a warm baby. I all that was something that was so significant to me. I just wanted to feel the heat and even you know the breath or movements of of my baby on my chest, and it, that to me was was a goal. Um, and anything after that was going to be a bonus. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Dr. Maeve bogan here in the Rotunda had said, "Okay, we we'll, we we'll go." Um, to me, I said, "What's the worst that can happen?" Um, we were living in Dublin. And I agreed not to travel back to Monaghan much and try and keep myself in distance of the hospital um at all times and was going to have bed rest and hormone injections and scans every week and um wrap yourself up in cotton wool yeah Yeah. and and it was funny though she used to say maybe say it doesn't matter like scans everything was perfect and you could walk out and it could just tear and give way and that's it um god you must have been terrified oh I'll never forget coming in for my um the early pregnancy. I'd had an early pregnancy scan, and then Maeve had said to book into her from twelve weeks, and because um, we'd had a miscarriage as well in between. And at the twelve week scan, I remember coming in and meeting the midwife in the private rooms, and I could not even look at her in the face. And the worst thing anybody could have said to me was congratulations. And actually, Maeve, when I went up to meet her, she didn't congratulate me. It was as if she knew. But um, I'll never forget at work one day when I was. Um, about twenty one or twenty two weeks, a girl had congratulated me. I was so rude to her, and not mean intent, but it was just my way of protecting myself. I didn't want anybody sh- to even acknowledge my pregnancy. You know, because to me, carrying a baby, was getting pregnant wasn't a problem. Thankfully for me, we were blessed, but I didn't have a baby. You know, I didn't have a live baby. You know, I didn't have a surviving baby. And don't congratulate me. Don't say anything to me until I have that baby in my arms. Was yeah. very much my my mannerism and. Yeah. The midwife was, um, she picked up the anxiety was severe actually at the start, where I could not, um, I couldn't function, I couldn't go out of the house. You know, I was very, very overwhelmed at the beginning. And I had been to nurture in the early part of the year. And again, then the services from the rotunda here, the um, psychological services um, to Ursula and Jean actually were offered to me. I said yes please yeah, <laughs> anything anything yeah. yeah I said anything to get me through this and to try and again normalize it and not they weren't dismissing how I was feeling um and I knew I just felt I didn't want to do anything that was going to impede on on losing the baby early and just wanted again like yeah, that just to wrap myself and nobody look at me and nobody touch me and just let me stay here and to try and get as much as as far as I could um I was admitted into the hospital then just around the same period as I had been with Ava from about 21 and I think more it was so good it was more for the anxiety because at that stage yeah. I was just up to height oh, I was think. gonna
0: say did you feel a relief complete yeah. relief
1: complete relief um now I had I'd had pains a bit week or two weeks forward and I'd had an overnight stay for that but at this stage you know I just when I said I need to be here I just want to be here and I kind of felt as well like I remember meeting Anne knew I was readmitted and I felt like I had this closeness with Ava as well I thought okay do you know when they brought me up to the to the gynae ward to bring me in they brought me into the room actually where um, Ava had been and I kind of thought you know what she's here and she's going to protect me so we got over the few weeks and I kind of started to relax and I got to 23 and 24 and I was like you know, I, I obviously didn't want to have a premature baby, but I knew that was going to be the outcome. Um, and I just wanted to relax and I wanted to start, okay, being a, being a mum, I wanted to be pregnant. and I wanted to enjoy it. And I was like, I'm going back to work. And maybe was like, what? No, you know, like, don't rush into it. And I said, you know what? I am, I want to go back and be normal. I want people now to know I'm pregnant and to kind yeah. of do do what normal people do. Um, So I did, I started to live a little and kind of let myself be happy and be pregnant. And... Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm yeah. so glad you got that. Yeah, that was, it was a big thing. Big thing for me was that I was able to kind of absorb being pregnant because yeah. I literally had parked everything for so
0: long. Which is understandable. Yeah. I mean, everything you've said, I totally get. It makes yeah. perfect sense. But I'm really, really glad that you got to just be a pregnant woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, yeah. for a while. It was
1: horrible. At, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't complaining, you know, like yeah. obviously I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't complain, but yeah I wasn't oh, I'm tired or you know and yeah. uh, they're, they're normal emotions I always say when pregnant people say to me I'm you know I'm sorry and I'm like why are you sorry You're, your body's carrying a human being and it's growing and you've all these hormones and every your circulation and everything has changed so much that so just you know read your own body and sleep yeah. if you can and yeah so I had done all that and then on the 12th of October um I actually had got was getting a week off from going into me if we've been getting weekly scans she said you know what take a week off and I said great and we actually went home at the weekend to Monaghan and my husband was very much like okay let's go home and I remember saying to him you know we're too far away if anything happens and
0: and how many weeks were you at this and point? So
1: 26, okay. yeah. And I had had the steroid injections and all those things. Um, I so you had a couple of weeks of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd been in every week and getting hormones and then I went in and got the steroids. The steroids were being really given at 24 weeks and then maybe it kind of held off then. So it really was... 20, I was 26 weeks into 26 weeks and I was getting the steroids. And, and then... Got them on the Monday and Tuesday and on Thursday the twelfth then woke up and ironically it was the exact same time that I had woken up with the pains with Eva and yeah, I knew straight away now things were worse this time that the pain and everything escalated quite um more quicker. Um, and so obviously the hole and the internal bleeding had been greater this time. Um obviously they'd stitch as much as they could, but yeah the trauma and you know I didn't want to tell my mum or any I kind of didn't want I just wanted to see how we went and we were we rang ahead we rang an ambulance this time my husband had driven the first time we'd driven intercept this time I was like no get an ambulance um so everything was very quick that was at 5 40 and we were in the emergency department at 10 past six I think and they were scanning me and I remember just shouting get the baby out all I just wanted was get the baby I knew at this stage okay viable baby just get her out and don't worry about me um and we had our little premature princess (laughs) a little Emma Kim at 20 past six um our two pound miracle again I was under um anesthetic so I wasn't awake for any of it um and a little girl and we kind of had thought we were having a boy and we kind of named it because the pregnancy was very different I've been very sick and we we're thinking a boy but you just want a help the baby but for us it was bittersweet it was to have this little girl um and yeah Emma's just the oh like I would <laughs> I would cry more at everything she has given us um she's not a replacement for Eva and never will be but we were so blessed everything could have went so wrong with her and you know, something watched over us and somebody watched over us and gave us what we needed to keep going in life. And um I don't think we could have survived or I don't think we could have went on as a couple. No matter how much sport you have, it's it's Emma that has given us, yeah, our lease of life. And she's absolutely perfect in every way and is loved by every single member of our family. And yeah, she's just kind of that little... Go like spur of life that we just needed. How yeah. old oh, is she now? She is twenty one months. Amazing, twenty one months. Yeah, months and yeah. Um, met her early. She cuddles for Anne and <laughs> yeah, and eve actually
0: saw her as was well. Just <laughs> to do this entire thing. No, <laughs> everybody in the room is crying. I think at this point. Um, and uh, you mentioned there just briefly. You know, you don't know if your relationship would have survived it. Um, yeah. what was it like? I mean, I can't imagine what kind of strain it must put on you as a couple. It's it's something, that was one of the things
1: when Anne asked me to speak and I was thinking, do you know what, like, you kind of, you go through primary school, secondary school and it's very much, okay, this is home economics and this is biology and this is where you learn, you're, you know, you get married, you have kids, whether it's male or female you're with, you know, there there are ways, there's IVF, there's these things available. But nobody tells you that your relationship, you, you know, nobody tells you that babies can die and nobody prepares you for how you're actually going to cope. You know, we did the pre-marriage course, like everybody nearly in Ireland does this accord thing. And I remember going through it and like one of the questions was how would you cope if you can't have kids or whatever? So they talk about that, but like nobody talks to you about how actually you're going to cope with the loss of a baby. Um, So Jared is very, very, very strong <laughs> in his work. He's very strong. And, Yeah, in our relationship, he's very strong. There are times when I can pick up straight away that he needs that extra support and he needs that extra hug and that extra kiss or whatever it is. And you just read off each other and you know to not let yourself get down. And support, it's supporting, you know, I had support from my amazing friends from home and the nurses that I work with. And they were, to me, they were, Jared knew once I was okay, that he kind of felt that he was okay, but he also had data support you know he had friends that had gone through similar situations and kind of guided him I think he was told at one stage "Um, there are two paths that you can go you know you can go down the path where you're leading yourself into a depressive life and you will lose all sense of normality and, and function of life you won't be fit to, to survive or you can go through it together so we did we just took you know each day as it came and to kind of know when one another was having a bad day. He was constantly checking in on me or I'd be checking in on him and you know, again, there are support, there is support there. you know, there is the, the lifetime we did attend the sport together and there are monthly meetings that people want to attend them together as a couple or um but we f- we felt we were okay together, you know and then obviously knowing okay, we had to be strong to go through another pregnancy and to and everything had to be parked to be able to kind of get to where, we needed to be with the second pregnancy so it was very much okay let's just keep going you know and let's let you know we have each other and if you're sad let me know you know if you need to cry let me know and it's just a day-to-day kind of take each day as it comes and and learn to speak and say learn to speak and say okay today's a bad day you know and i don't want to get out of bed or you know whatever it is it's yeah talking to each other communication and how are you now I'm fine. <laughs> no, it's very like Emma. Obviously, has given us the the drive, but we still ache. Yeah, ache is the um is a small word I suppose to describe um what we what we are living with. Um, we're never the same. Never the same. Um, I know a lot of friends at work were actually pregnant when I was pregnant, and anyone that has had a baby around that time, um, I still struggle. People may or may not know that. They may know now when they listen to why I'm avoiding them. But I struggle to be around babies that are three. I struggle to hear people um, give out, you know, about their kids. or their People just don't realize how precious. And it's the anger of a bereaved mum to, you you know, it's not resentment, but you just sort of think you have to count your blessings. You know, you have to think, like, again, I'm happy to leave Emma with parents and, you know, and Mm -hmm. kind of take my downtime, but it's just you kind of think okay how can we cope and, and avoidance is, is something that just kind of gets me through and um, we have the grave we talk about Ava a lot and um, we remember her we have her name up everywhere over the house and Emma can say her name and Teddy's Um, you, you can't really get over it so you just learn you just learn to live through it Um, like I was at home yesterday and bought something for her grave for her due date and you can't have a cake but this is just your way of honoring them and kind of remembering them so it's just
0: do what's right for you and you
1: kind of just have to take it as Mm.
0: and is there anything because I know that there will be people listening who haven't had this experience and who maybe will never have this experience but might know someone Mm -hmm. who goes through something like this there any advice you would give to someone who is trying to support someone who's had an experience like this um, if
1: you're pregnant stay away not stay speak to the person first I always say that like everyone around me they were all so sensitive and stuff but it's just don't put the person that don't put the bereaved mum into the situation where she has to look at your bump ask first you know and now to be fair even if they ask that you're probably going to say oh no it's fine when actually you're lying no mum that has buried a baby wants to see a grown baby as as much as you may want to be around them you just have to take the step back text you know like guy has people texting and cards and flowers and you know the big thing everyone says is ask the name of the baby you know it's it's to remember remembering the baby ask their name if somebody has lost a baby and they I did have a friend text a few weeks ago and said you know a friend had lost twins and what can I do and I said don't avoid her go over to her hug her sit and let her talk through the birth let her talk through what's happened um, ask their names give her something with their names on it like um i have a teddy that was given to me and my friend at the time had said i'd be coming in to visit you if he ever had a lift and i'd be giving you a teddy with her name on it you know just simple things with their name so that you can physically always have that to remember so it's just about don't avoid and and don't always believe them when they say they're okay and that they want space and stuff because a lot of the times it's just like you feel you can't cope with their grief the friend's grief so you're kind of thinking okay you know well maybe stay away because you just want to sit and cry yourself and you don't want to have to upset them because you know it's a very upsetting time for everyone and um, anyone that's around anyone that's lost a baby it's very upsetting for everybody but it's about including them as much as they want to be included. Yeah.
0: and you're nodding away there. I, I gather that you agree with that advice. Totally.
2: Um, I think for somebody, for parents whose little baby has died, one of the biggest things is they never want their baby to be forgotten. Um, and that's a lot of the work we would do with relatives of the bereaved parents. Relatives ask, what can we do? Just the question you're after asking Linda. And it's to give people little ideas like, remember their birthday? Remember them at Christmas time. Buy them a Christmas bauble for the tree with their name on it. It's it's not rocket science, and I think people think it's very complicated. It's actually the small things that make a difference. Send flowers. Send the card. Um, I, I, do, I do remember quite a number of parents. That's one of the things they'd say um, with their little dead baby in their arms. They said, nobody even sent me a card. Nobody sent me a balloon for my baby. Um, And I think it's because it's lack of education. It's just something you said earlier. And that education, I do believe, needs to begin at primary school. Children are very resilient. Children are well able to have conversations about little babies. Um, It's a fear many parents have. Will they introduce their little baby that has died to maybe older siblings? Um, And... I always say to parents in all my years doing this work I've never met a frightened child. Parents are afraid that they, they, their children will be afraid to see a baby who has died. If children are prepared properly like if parents are prepared uh, in a good way to meet their baby. So, um, so education and I, I think that does need to start at a very early age. Um, so that we, ha- we develop these life skills. Um, it, it's not going to take away the pain that you're going to experience when your baby dies nothing can take away that pain I think you actually need to feel that pain and part of you I think part of you never wants to lose that sense of ache because if you did then it was it would kind of indicate that maybe you had forgotten or you'd moved on and it's not about forgetting it's not about moving on it's about adapting and learning to live life in a different way without your little baby or in some for some people without little babies um, but to remember and you know we hold as most maternity hospitals hold an annual service of remembrance and that just the numbers of people that come there increases every year and so people speak or vote with their feet really people wouldn't come to that service if it didn't mean something to them and it's not necessarily a religious thing, it's a uh, people gathering together, united in their humanity and united in their experience of grief, of little baby and babies that have died. And it also reaches out to the long ago bereaved who didn't have the same supports and acknowledgements that are available today. So there's still a cohort out there in society whose babies died 30, 40, 50 years ago. And they never got the opportunity to name their baby, to see their baby, to have their baby buried in consecrated ground for those for whom that would have been important. Um, so we still have a lot to learn in society. Um, and I just love the point Linda made about our education in primary school and secondary school. I think there's an opening for um, bereavement education. Um yeah maybe I'll go back to education (laughs) and leave this
0: job (laughs) well I think yeah I mean when you came in today Linda I said you know I thought I always from the from the get-go when we started talking about this podcast I thought it was absolutely crucial that we talked about these things because sometimes they're not talked about and I think it's for the same reason that people don't get in touch or don't send a card it's people don't know what to say they're scared and they don't want to do the wrong thing but doing nothing it seems like is definitely the wrong thing and not talking about this is definitely the wrong thing um do you find talking about I mean I'm sure it's difficult but do you find it useful at all to talk about it yeah
1: yeah it definitely is and again like that was one of the reasons for coming on was that like some women in their early part of the pregnancy that may or may not obviously listening to me blubbering or somebody you know upset about losing a baby but it's that when and if they need it that they listen to it and they realize that this is normal like not normal as in we're here to procreate and we're here to have babies but they don't all survive and you know even when I was pregnant with Emma it actually quite annoyed me that you know I went to antenatal classes I was only ever going to get one in I kind of knew that but at no stage was it mentioned about what happens if your waters go early or what will happen you know and there when we spent 13 weeks in the NICU here and um, the breastfeeding and everything was initiated from the start, but we had had no education about premature birth or about a baby dying. And, and yes, nobody wants to hear it. You're a pregnant woman. You want to be in this bubble of happiness and hormones and everything. But you, the more that people are you know, educated on from the start, I think then they can kind of have that in the back of their head. Oh, I remember that being told to me. Where's that booklet? and let's read it you know so that they're not completely frightened and they're not made to feel yeah it's you just feel such you know it's the it's the freak nature you're sort of thinking okay this hasn't happened to anybody I don't know like before Ava I didn't know of anybody that ever lost babies and unfortunately or fortunately in some cases I've made friends with some bereaved mums who we will always have this link you know and I was at a wedding last week and I met a lady in the toilets and we got talking and she had had lost a baby and you know, it's that connection you just kind of have, but I feel, you know, if, if you're kind of told about it early enough, then, it, you know, then it kind of prepares you, I think, because you kind of get pregnant, and you're told, take folic acid and do this and do that. But actually, you know, nobody's kind of given, the just aren't given enough information at the start to kind of be like, okay things can go wrong and this is what will happen if things go wrong you know yeah
0: yeah no I Mm. think you're right that's I think that's a really valid point Mm. well I just want to say thank you so very much um you really spoke as I said already so eloquently and I know that this will be really useful to other women whether or not they have the experience but to have the knowledge of what it's like and hopefully you know maybe be better friends be better supporters to people in their lives um, so thank you so much, Linda. And thank you so much, Anne, as well. Thank
1: you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.
0: Our sincere thanks to both Linda and Anne for joining us today. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in today's episode, help can be found at alittlelifetime.ie, anamkara.ie, felicon.ie, and miscarriage.ie. A list of these websites will be posted on our website and Twitter page today.